welcome back to season two of Outside of Session. I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker and therapist BFF, Julie Hilton. This season, I'm interviewing some incredible guests who also happen to be experts in their fields. Mental health, motherhood, spirituality, and so much more, I can't wait for their stories to be told. These are all the conversations I'm having outside of session. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Outside of Session. This week's episode, we're going to be talking about domestic violence, which obviously can be a pretty heavy topic, but it's one that I felt like really needs more attention and more awareness brought to it. With that being said, of course, I always like to give a bit of a heads up for anyone who might find this topic stressful or particularly triggering to take really good care of yourself as you listen today. I feel like the more conversations that we openly have about domestic violence and who it impacts, the more we help others to release the shame that they may be holding on to. And I'm eternally grateful for my guest today and my friend, Shay Gardenhire, for coming on to share with us today. Shay is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist in Metro Atlanta, and she is the owner of Balancing Thoughts Counseling Services. Shay is married to her husband, Marvin, and they have a blended family of five children, Gabe, Josh, Morgan, Caleb, and Michaela, and they also have a fur baby, Max. Shay has a passion to assist individuals and couples in navigating life transitions while working on healing their relationship and improving their mental well-being. Shalene, hello. Thank you so much for being here on this Friday night that we're recording this. (laughs) No worries. You know, we were talking, Shalene and I were talking earlier today about the fact that we have known each other for a decade now. Is that right? Yes. Ever since our hospice days. Our hospice days. Yeah. Like, I don't think I realized what a blessing that job was at the time because I have ended up being friends with so many of the other social workers that I interacted with when I was there. So we've officially got a a decade of friendship at this point. Absolutely. (laughs) And I feel like our careers have overlapped a lot. And now we're kind of in the same position of being in private practice. Yes. And it's interesting because like you said, and I don't know if you knew this, but you were very instrumental in me becoming a clinical social worker. I had no idea. You told me that the other day and I had no idea about that. (laughs) You were one of the ones that gave me my first study material. Oh gosh, that was so long ago. I don't even remember that. Mm -hmm. And so I I I know why I would have encouraged you because I knew you were phenomenal at the time. So I was like, yeah, you need to do this. (laughs) Yes. And so from that point, I was like, yeah, to let her know this because sometimes things happen and you don't realize that you didn't share that with those individuals. So yes. Yeah. Well, that means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're recording in October. So I know that this episode isn't going to be coming out in October, but we're recording in October. And we had, when I first asked you to come on the show, which thank you so much for being here and agreeing to it, I kind of Mm -hmm. cornered you a little bit. (laughs) But when we were trying to think of a a topic to discuss, you came up with the idea of, well, it's going to be October when we're recording. Why don't we talk about domestic violence awareness? Because that's what October is about, right? Yes. Yes. So we're going to be talking all things about domestic violence and, um, this can be a, obviously a really hard topic 
So I know that this is, I mean, it can be really heavy, right? But I think it's something that is, we've got to talk about this more. Yes. We've got to find these voices to get out there. Absolutely. I think so many women um, are suffering with this. And I I say women uh, because that's a high population, but also men in some aspects. But I definitely feel that this is something that should be discussed. And I'm glad to know that we are doing this in October, but it will air afterwards because it does doesn't happen in October, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So for the sake of the show, I wanted to, first of all, to um, just throw out there that I actually looked this up a minute ago before we jumped on, because there's also another term called intimate partner violence. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was looking up like, what exactly is the difference between domestic violence and intimate partner violence? And just for everybody out there listening, we're kind of talking about both today, Um, like anything that falls under the umbrella of either one. So domestic violence is anything that happens in your home with people that live in your home. So it doesn't necessarily have to be um, between a couple. It can be between a parent and a child or vice versa, right? Like a, a violent child towards a parent, like if you have a violent teenager. Yes. But it can also be roommates. It can be siblings. It can be if you have cousins or uncles or anybody that lives in your house. Like that's what domestic violence is. It's anybody in your home. Mm-hmm. But intimate partner violence is always with a, a person that you're in a relationship with. And it doesn't matter if you guys live together. So it might not be domestic if you're not living together. Um, but yeah. it's it's between two people that are romantically involved. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that the, the community needs to know that because mm-hmm. – we put we pigeonhole that violence on domestic, but like you said, mm-hmm. intimate partner violence is definitely something that needs to be brought out as well. Yeah, because I know um, I'm just thinking about how so many of my friends, even in my college, when they weren't living with their boyfriend, mm-hmm. they were they were definitely being abused, you know, and so. If you're in that kind of scenario, just know that that you are included in this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly to say, but yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to kind of give you the floor because I know that you um, have spoken on this in a lot of different places before. So Mm -hmm. you can start wherever you want to start today. Okay. One of the things that I've come to learn as as a therapist, but then also just as a person and talking with different women and, um, you know, teenagers, that everyone has a story. So I yeah. want to share the story of this, this um, young girl who became a lady at some point. But um, her story begins as she was born into a loving two-parent household. She um, is the oldest of her siblings, graduated high school, and attended the college of her choice. She fell in love at 19 years old and continued dating that same guy until marriage in 1996. Through those years, she had three sons and developed in her career. In 2005, she entered grad school and then the problems began. Mm. So the curveball came. She experienced emotional degradation, name calling, insults about her progress. There were intentional barriers placed where um, he became unreliable and not available there was infidelity and then physical intimidation. Mm. From that point, the paradigm shift. She developed low self-esteem, questioned her self-worth, developed self-doubt, 
made a difficult decision to end her 11-year marriage. And then she earned a new title as a divorcee. However, through the years with some work, um, she actually developed a new normal, became a single mom, an empowered woman, a motivator, embarked upon a new career, learned to appreciate life, became respectful of death. And then she became me. Mm. And so this is my rediscovery. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we talked about is just looking at um, silencing the shame because never, yeah. ever, never, ever, you know, wasn't raised in that type of household at all. And um, went to college and actually this was my ex-husband that I was referring to, um, the, the father of my three boys. And I actually knew him since we were in middle school. And then we went to wow. different schools and then saw each other again in college. And was that like a how alpha, how alpha, phi alpha house party? And, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember him. And, mm-hmm. you know, ended up starting to date and things were, were pretty good um, through college then graduation, moved to Atlanta, and then there you go. Things start to happen. A lot of infidelity, a lot of um, just degrading Mm -hmm. comments. But the thing about that, that came probably the last three years of the relationship. Wasn't that interesting? Mm Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So first, I just have to pause and say, um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. I knew we would be speaking on it today um, as a therapist, but this is your story as well. So no wonder you're so passionate about helping other women is because you've been that woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, this is something I I actually spoke at church um, recently on this and I the, the topic of that particular um, presentation was silencing the shame, but it was dealing with life transitions to show how mm-hmm. the transition of where I was and then, you know, how things progressed and, and how I coped and all that. And just to kind of share that with women. But one of the things that I shared with them and, and the audience was kind of taken aback, I told them, of course, besides my boys, when I made the decision to finally leave, yeah. separate from divorce, um, it's interesting because not only were my boys my inspiration, because I was like, they need to have at least one sane parent, right? Yeah. Um, the women that I did not know, the women that were sitting in that audience that day, the women that are listening now were my inspiration as well. Mm, wow. I, yeah, I literally had the thought, I knew I would be a therapist one day. I just didn't know how it would manifest but I literally had the thought that I could not sit in front of a woman and help to guide her. And then I go home and face this. Mm. So, wow. Yep. Yep. Wow. True story. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's a tough one too, because I think that as therapists, we, we hold a lot of that, right. Of, Mm -hmm. you know, when we sit with clients, I, I know I have this thought all the time of how can I help somebody with anxiety if I can't get my anxiety under control? Mm-hmm. Or how can I help someone who is facing this problem if I feel like I'm facing it as well? 
And it's such a reminder that a being a therapist, you're, you're human. You are fully human with your own struggles and your own issues. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. the stuff that we all go through in life, Mm -hmm. but for you to have walked through that journey, that hell Mm -hmm. on your own and you being on the other side of it now, I cannot imagine how, how that has affected the way that you help women now. Absolutely. And you know, the thing about it, Julie, is that when I think about it, this was not the whole relationship. This Yeah, let's happening. let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I think that there's a lot of people that assume that a, a violent person starts out violent, right? No. And that's not... So let me just give you a little history about it. So we were yeah. 19 and 20 at the time. Uh-huh. So we were freshmen in college when we started dating. We were babies. The, the yeah. age of our youngest son right now. Wow. You know, and, yeah. yeah. And we went through life, you know, moved to Atlanta, um, got apartment, um, you know, got got pregnant with the first son, got married and trudged on from there. When it began, believe it or not, was not until 2005. Guess what happened in 2005? What was that? I entered grad school. When I mm-hmm. entered grad school. I started progressing. Mm. That's when I started noticing things. That's when things, I mean, the cheating, there was some cheating before that. So that was some, a whole different bag of things, but the emotional degradation, the physical intimidation, none of that occurred until I entered grad school in 2005. So before 2005, you would, you had had, you, like every relationship probably would have said, yeah, there's problems, but it never would have crossed your mind that it would have been nope. physically abusive this way. Nope. Not physically abusive at all. And it didn't start with the physical abuse. It started with right. emotional. It started with the emotional. And I recognize now that it was a breakdown. It was a breakdown of my self-esteem, my self-value, mm-hmm. my self-worth those things, but there were so many other things that were there that just wasn't right anyway, like the cheating and mm-hmm. financially I was the, the, the breadwinner. So, you know, so to speak, it was, yeah, it was just a whole lot of stuff. And even his own mother said to me, I believe he's jealous of your progress. Mm. And that really rang high with me because I'm like, you know what, that explains the reason why it occurred at this point. So that does it. And I always wonder if there is a, a thing, right. A a -hmm. shift like you talk about, like, is there a thing? Mm -hmm. And that could be one of many things, but probably a really big one at that time is his own insecurities, um, maybe being emasculated, something like that to the point that it, Mm -hmm. he wanted to bring you down and break you down Yeah, because you were kind of outgrowing him. I was outgrowing him. And the thing about it is, is that he was never one to work a nine to five. I mean, he even made that statement. I'm just not, you know, the type to work a nine to five. He was actually um, really trying to make it in the music industry, hence Mm -hmm. moving to Atlanta Mm -hmm. and had had a few different situations that for whatever reason, never hit the brink of success. It was like, it got to that point and then it flopped. And so as I think about it now, that's probably the reason why when I did start to flourish and I had started to really find Mm -hmm. my footing with Mm -hmm. career and knowing what I wanted to do. I remember one comment that um, 
it was interesting. I just shared with a friend the other day. I remember him saying to me, you're supposed to be a family therapist, but can't even keep your own family together. Wow. That's mm. such gaslighting, right? Because mm-hmm. at that at that moment, I was thinking like, why can't I keep my family together? Well, guess what? That was a partnership. And I could not uphold the partnership as a sole proprietor. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. But that does make sense because I can imagine like, you, you move to Atlanta in your early twenties and you have all of these dreams. And if it doesn't happen within the first couple of years, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Like yeah. in the music yeah. industry, by the time you're 25, if you haven't made it, you're probably not going to. Right. So as he started to see maybe his hopes and his dreams slip away and all of a sudden it's like everything he had put into this career and it just wasn't happening. I'm sure, and this is by no means justifying it at all, but I'm sure that there was a lot of insecurities and there was probably Mm -hmm. stress and all these other things. And then you've got someone who is supposed to be your partner, but they Mm -hmm. are having success in their career and they're growing and they're happy and they're learning and they're um, like, you're flourishing into this woman and he couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand it. And the the interesting thing is, is that I never, as therapists, you know how it is. You may, we may want to diagnose someone without really formally diagnosing them, right? Mm -hmm. At the time, I just knew there was a lot of chaos around our situation. Mm -hmm. I could not, it was that we were always on the hamster wheel. I remember being, I remember going to um, have a conversation, like a meeting with him, writing down bullet points because we would always get off topic, off task. Yes. And didn't know what the name was at that time. But as I look back, I really believe, I can't say he was narcissistic. I do believe he had very many narcissistic traits. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because I was heavily gaslighted. I was definitely the supply. Um, He used the children and and hung that over my Mm. head. Mm-hmm. He gaslighted our children to get to me. It yeah. just all kinds of craziness, you know. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm actually glad that you said that because I think a lot of people are looking for like like when you're in that place, you're you're grasping for some kind of something like definite that you can put your finger on. Like if you could go to a therapist and have a therapist say, yes, this person definitely has narcissistic personality disorder. They are dangerous. You need to leave. Then it's like, okay, now I've, I've, I've got something definite, but there are a lot of people, like you said, who have narcissistic traits, Mm -hmm. which we, we all can, right? Like we We can all be a little bit, right. Um, But there are some people that may never meet the criteria for a diagnosis, but -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're not showing plenty of those characteristics, like the gaslighting, like you're talking about, that still Mm -hmm. makes them an an abuser. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something I did not realize. I just knew, and this is something I use with my clients sometimes. I just knew we were always on a hamster wheel Mm -hmm. and like there was never an end to the chaos. And I recognized when I looked back that the reason why there was never an end, because he never owned up to anything and took responsible responsibility for it. It was always the blame game. I was always yeah. the fault yeah. of something. I'll, I'll give you an example. We went to therapy. I used mm-hmm. my EAP um, this particular year and he wasn't working. He was um, yet again, wasn't working. And I was trying to uphold a family of five. I mean, just mm-hmm. it's amazing. Just thinking back to that. And um, I remember 
when we went to the therapist, one of the things that I spoke on was the fact that he just would not seem to get a job, hold a job, and it was really putting a lot of strain. And then eventually after that, probably two weeks, he got a job and he worked for this pest control company and we didn't go back to therapy. Well, the reason being is because we couldn't find the time to go back to therapy that would meet my schedule, his schedule. Mm -hmm. But what did he do? He blamed us not going to therapy on me. What he Mm -hmm. said was, he said, I knew all you wanted was for me to get a job. You weren't really concerned about the marriage and Mm -hmm. our marriage progressing. Um, well, one of the reasons why we were having issues is because I financially was just strapped. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it became where he wanted to make me feel bad about not really wanting the therapy to progress the marriage, but yet wanting to the therapy so that he could get a job. (sighs) That just really didn't make sense. So yet again, the manipulation was there. Yeah. (laughs) So that I have some, I have questions Um, because what I'm thinking about is I have heard so many women say, I, I wish he would have just hit me Mm. because if it had just been something that, that I could say, I know for a fact this happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would know to leave, mm-hmm. which if that happens, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be as clear cut as you think it is going to be. Yeah. But for so many people, the abuse is mind games. Oh, yeah. And they have such like, when they say that they're almost saying like, I, I wish it was just something that I could call abuse, mm-hmm. but so much of it is gaslighting, manipulation, playing games, twisting your words, Um, and a lot of time there's a slight bit of truth in there Mm -hmm. or something will slightly make sense. And so it makes you feel like you're the crazy one. It makes you feel like, am I overreacting? Am I being dramatic? Am I not being supportive enough? And so it, I'm saying all that to say, like so many other times you walk away from an argument or a fight or something, or even if you're trying to have a productive conversation, right. And you've got your bullet points and then you leave and all of a sudden you're like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) Exactly. And you walk away feeling like, am I in the wrong? Do I need to work on this? Am I not being a good enough partner? Am I somehow causing this change in him? You know what I mean? You walk away feeling like, am I the problem? And so that's what I'm saying is a lot of women would say, if, if it had just been something physical, I could have said that I know that I'm not the problem with that. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm not saying that it gives you that clarity if it does progress to physical violence, but in that moment, it kind of feels like it. Right. So can you, can you speak a little bit on that about how intimate partner violence is not just physical and sexual, that so much of it is. Yes. The breaking of the self-esteem, the causing a lot of chaos and confusion to where they, to where you doubt yourself, because that's what they want, right? Absolutely. And so what, what happens is when you know that, okay, I'm not getting hit, it's not, you know, sexual manipulation, it's more so the words. Mm-hmm. If the words make you feel less than, mm-hmm. it's emotional manipulation, If the words Mm. are degrading you, calling you out your name, um, um, making fun of your career, downplaying things, it's emotional manipulation. If the words are to the point where you're questioning your sanity, 
it's emotional right. manipulation. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you would also define that as emotional abuse, right? Absolutely. Emotional abuse. Anytime any of those things are going on and you don't feel like yourself and you're questioning mm-hmm. things and you are um, ashamed if it's done in front of other people, you're ashamed of what was just said to you by your partner, you know, or someone that's supposed to love you. Right. Um, yes, it's definitely emotional abuse. It is. I'm just so glad for you to define that mm-hmm. because I think so, so many people are in relationships where, I mean, I've even had clients ask me before, is that abuse? Mm-hmm. And I lean on the side of, if you have to ask, yeah. then some lines have already been crossed. Lines have been crossed. Yes. Because you don't typically ask that question in a healthy, non-abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the thing about it is you can feel, so this is what I've always leaned on um, since I've learned. You can feel when there's love because love has a certain feeling, like it feels good. You get the the butterflies, not the the scary butterflies, like you're making a mistake, but the butterflies like this feels really good. You know, those endorphins are lighting up in your brain, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so you really, you would know the difference. If it's something that's causing you to question things, something's wrong. Yeah. I have a saying, when I turned 50, I'm telling my age, but that's okay. I'm blessed. (laughs) When I stay over 30, girl. (laughs) (laughs) When I turned 50, uh, which was actually three years ago, I did 50 nuggets of wisdom or something like that. You remember I did that on social media? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so one of the things that I remember coming up with is a gut feeling is an instinct alarm. Don't Mm. snooze. Mmm. And the reason being is that we all get that, right? We all get that spidey sense tingling in our gut. And how many times have we ignored something and we end up getting burned? I, people on the, listening to this podcast have heard me say a dozen times mm-hmm. that one of the first things or one of the main things that I see in trauma as a result of trauma is we stop trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We stop trusting our gut. We question our ability to read situations correctly. We question our ability to make good decisions for ourselves. We we forget how to trust ourselves when we live through trauma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and you're just reaffirming that like you your your intuition, your gut, mm-hmm. it is there for a reason. You gotta listen to it. You gotta listen to it. We were all born with an instinct, and that's yeah. the thing about it. When we have that, that's that nudge to say, pay attention to me. We may not know what it is at the time, but just trust it. Just lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what you were saying a minute ago about feeling loved. Mm -hmm. I have, I have been in relationships before where, um, it is completely like when I think back on it, it's so different than my relationship with my husband. Mm-hmm. When we argue, because arguing is not bad. Arguing is not an abuse. Arguing can be like, there is such thing as healthy conflict, right? Absolutely. But I have never not felt loved. 
I have never felt the shame that you're talking about. I have yes. never felt like I was put down, degraded, like you said, mm-hmm. called out of my name. There was yes. never an attack on my character. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of things that I think people like, it can be hard to sort through the gray area because anger can bring out like not the best in us. Right. Absolutely. But I like what you're saying about like, even in the hardest times in a healthy relationship, you're not going to question some of these very basic things. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, One of the things I do when I, when I have my couples therapy sessions, I always talk about fighting fair. I always talk about never hitting below the belt. Yes. Mm -hmm. Once you hit below the belt, those are things that are ingrained in that partner's mind and memory that a lot of times are hard to forgive because Mm -hmm. there's such hurtful things that are said. There's such evil things that are said to the point where if you do that, there's a whole lot of work, if it can be done, that has to be done to get back to a level of being able to trust, respect, all of those things. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I recognized with with my ex is that um, there was not a level of what well, the trust was already shaky because of the infidelity right. um, on his on his part. I'm happy to say it didn't even happen on my part. I just wasn't that just wasn't who I was. Yeah. Um, but what I can say that it did get to a point where I did have to file a temporary protective order um, mm-hmm. because of some physical um, abuse that, yeah, that ended up happening. Oh my gosh, I can remember the date. October, let me see. October 6th is when this mm-hmm. happened. And went to church on, that was a Saturday, went to church on that Sunday, October 7th, played the part. Because in my yeah. mind, I knew I was going to um, the sheriff's department that Monday morning and filing a, t- a temporary protective order, TPO. Mm-hmm. But I played the part because, for one thing, my children never knew that any of that had happened. Because yeah. when it happened, I went back upstairs, I cleaned myself up, and I was like, I was not going to allow them to see that because I did not want them to experience that. That's, that's another reason why I didn't call 911, because that would have been emotionally um, traumatizing for them. So mm-hmm. I was thinking that all the time. And then um, that Monday morning, I got up. The only person who knew where I was going was my sister at the time. I told my sister where I was going to be heading. And so she yeah. knew. But yeah, she had taken some pictures of the back of my neck because he had put his hands around my neck and all this stuff and scratched me up. And I filed that TPL. So that was October 8th, 2007. That was the last time we had lived together. Yeah. But let me tell you how the narcissistic traits that I believe he had and has um, worked. Two weeks later, we had a, a hearing in court. And a domestic violence um, advocate was with me or what have you because I, of what I had filed and do you know that he thought that I, he was shocked that I was not dropping those, yeah. Wow. <laughs> those allegations and everything. And I was like, are you serious? Yeah. 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 So t- just totally in the dark about, and, and once again, not accepting accountability and responsibility for that. So, but this is when I started to regain some, some, some power and things of that nature, because I started doing the work. Yeah. After that. But you know, even as you were saying that, I was thinking how 
just how unfair that is that you needed to be able to call 911. Mm-hmm. But the burden that you as a mom carry to say, I will put myself second yeah, so that my kids don't, so that they're not traumatized by this, Absolutely. you know, that in all of this, that your main concern was still them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that, I mean, and it's still, and that remained the same because even before I, I did this conversation with you, I shared with them to let them know that I was going to do this because I'm now just starting to be able to speak this truth and, and not be shamed by it. Yeah. But I wanted to let them know so that I can make sure they were okay with it, even though they may not ever hear it, you know. But at the same time, I just wanted to make sure that they knew. because And they're yeah, grown. They're 27, 24, and 19 now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to pause for a quick moment to say thank you so much for all the love and support that you're showing outside of session. If you haven't already, do me a huge favor and hit the subscribe button, give me a five-star review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. Help me take this show to another level. Now, back to today's episode. So one of the questions that I'm thinking is that for for your story, and I think that this happens a lot, it was such a slow progression. I know 2005 was kind of that turning point. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that happens a lot where it, it just builds over time. Yeah. And I think that that makes it harder almost to recognize when it's happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because something may happen one time and then it doesn't happen again for a few months. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Absolutely. And so there, there's a lot of a feeling of it's an isolated incident. Um, it was just a, a really bad day or we got some really bad news or, you know, something like that where people, it's like the frog that's in the pot of water. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. And they don't realize it's getting hotter because they, it, they got in it when it was cold. Right. So it's getting hotter and hotter and they don't even recognize it. And I think that that happens a lot in relationships where mm-hmm. like you've been together for a decade and in the beginning it was fine. And it wasn't in year until year seven or eight, like you said, before it, it gets yeah. to that point. Um, and by that, by that point you do, you have children together, you've got mortgage, you've got, um, like your entire lives are connected with each other. So yes. what I'm getting at my point of this is <laughs> how do you go about untangling from that? Mm-hmm. And what was your process when you decided, like, what was that point for you when you said, I've got to get out of this? This is, this yeah. is just going to get worse. I've got to get out of this. How, what was that moment like for you and how did you get there? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for me, what really helped me was the the knowing that um, I was leaving something that was dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know it at first, of course, but then as things started to progress from the emotional manipulation to the physical, mm-hmm. I knew that something wasn't right. Then there was also this look in his eyes when, you know, when he would say certain things that just didn't seem like it was him. So I just, in my Mm. mind, I'm like, he's not well. Right. Mm. And I knew that I could not keep my children in that. So, and then I told you, like I said, one day I was going to do therapy and I couldn't be on the other side of of a woman telling me these same types of things. And then I'm providing guidance, but then going home and being hypocritical. 
So those were all the things for me. And then my just my spiritual life. I mean, I, I prayed and I asked God to show me signs and things like that. Yeah. And, and when these things started to come about, I paid attention. I didn't ignore it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. did do therapy. I did do therapy. And I recognized when I was in therapy, I think I was in therapy with her a couple of months and she really, she didn't say a whole lot. I did all the talking. And then when I looked back, I recognized, wait a minute, I'm thinking it was my job. I'm thinking that it was school. I'm thinking that it was this, this, this. And I recognized that every session I was talking about him Mm. and I Mm -hmm. realized he was my problem. So um, this morning I posted on my Instagram, a little poll to say that this is what we're going to be talking about today to get some Q and a. We're going to get to all of them in just a little bit, but that actually ties into one of the questions now, which is what are some red flags to look for? Mm, Yes. So what I mentioned earlier, when someone makes you feel less than, when someone, of course, you would know if someone hits you, that's not appropriate at all. Like, no, we we are not supposed to be hit by anyone, right? Um. When you feel like there's never any resolve to a problem because mm. that other person is not holding themselves accountable, when you have things thrown at you, when you have, um, you know, I remember some financial manipulation where I woke yeah. up one day and my my debit card was gone because he mm. took my debit card when I was asleep to go buy him some cigarettes. Yeah. What? This is my money, you know. So any of those things that you know that doesn't sit well with your gut and you're having to question it, red flags. And I say this to my clients all the time. Burnt orange are also Mm -hmm. a version of red. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I love that because we, I talk about that a lot lot in therapy too, is like, what are the yellow flags, right? And those are the ones to keep an eye on. It Mm -hmm. may not be red right now, but it has the potential to escalate, right? So that's a really, really good point is pay attention to when is yellow turning to burnt orange. Yes. Which then turns to red. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, when you made that decision to get out, Mm-hmm. For a lot of, a, a lot of women, I think there is a feeling of like, yeah, I know I need to, but I feel like I can't. Mm. And that, and that's terrifying, right? Because there's, there's so many things to consider. And so I know a lot of people can be really just like judgmental and mm-hmm. completely removed. And they say, well, why, do, why doesn't she just leave? And that's so ignorant, right? Yeah. Because if it were that easy, a lot more women would, but when you've mm-hmm. got, um, children and there's all different kinds of abuse, um, financially dependent on him, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The wow. threat of taking the children, um, the threat of getting you fired from your job, the threat of like, I still cutting you off and being isolated. Like mm-hmm. there, the threat mm-hmm. of increased mm-hmm. abuse. Right. Yeah. So when there's that fear there of, I, I want to be able to leave, but I feel like I can't, how do you, how do you guide women through that? I think one of the biggest things, it's not easy. I always will acknowledge that. I know that it's not easy. However, if you don't have a support system, 
there are agencies out there for that. There are, um, oh, I forgot the name of the organization, but they can put women in hiding. Mm -hmm. There are all types. If this, if someone who's listening is a woman that's dealing with something of this sort and you're working, most employers have employee assistance programs to where they have legal aid. They have um, therapists that you're able to speak with. And this is all covered by the employer or there may be a small fee if it's like legal aid or something. But those are the things that you can do is find a trusted organization or a trusted friend, family member that you could possibly um, flee if you have to or Mm -hmm. or have that support from. Yeah. Um, So that's another question that someone asked. Actually, I think this was actually my question. (laughs) How can you support a friend who you, you recognize their relationship is abusive, or maybe you're just concerned. Maybe your friend has an awareness of how bad it is, or maybe not. Maybe they haven't even gotten to that realization on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, what I've, when I've actually had a friend in this situation before, there was that fear of if I push too hard, she'll stop telling me what's going on. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to feel judged. Like the right. I didn't want her to think that I was judging, but I also didn't want her to think um, if she was in that place of, of feeling like I can't, mm-hmm. I didn't want her to think that I was going to like push her and cause problems in their relationship and make it worse on her. Right. Okay. Yeah. So how do you support a friend that maybe you even see how bad it is and they don't? Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is letting that person know off the bat that you love them and that yeah. you want to see them happy, whole and healthy and you yeah. want the best for them. Right. And then from that point forward, asking for permission to provide your input. Mm. That's that's very important because oh I love that mm-hmm, asking for permission. Do you mind if I share this with you? Do you mind if I share my concerns with you? Yeah. Let me know if I'm getting if you feel that I'm getting too opinionated or too pushy or whatever words you want to use because I don't want to sabotage the friendship over what I'm feeling very strongly about. Yeah. And then even be honest with that person and letting them know that you're having some challenges with even maintaining um, some of your opinions because you care so much about them, but you also want to respect their decisions because you're right. I, I, I remember this. I remember not sharing any of these things with anyone except for my mother-in-law at the time Um because I felt I was going to be judged or people were going to tell me I need to leave. And I didn't need that. I didn't need that extra stuff in my head. I needed to make the decision. And when I did make it, I shared. And so that's the thing about it is that if that person Mm -hmm. is not ready and and even letting them know you may not be ready just yet to do what's best for you, according to what I'm seeing. But when you are, I'm here. And so, yeah, it's just open honesty. I mean, we, we are all biased when it comes to people that we love. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I like what you're saying too, because 
maybe, maybe that's a, a good thought to have is when you go in to share your concerns, mm-hmm. maybe not saying, I think you should leave mm-hmm. because that puts a pressure on the person that they have to either let you know why they're not or why they're not ready, or they might feel a pressure from you that the only way that they can make you happy is if you agree to leave. Right. So maybe that's not even what you put on the table isn't an opinion about them leaving the relationship. Maybe it's just, Hey, I want to see some things that I'm seeing that it looks like a red or a burnt orange flag for me. Yeah. Without any advice at that point of what should be done about it, Mm -hmm. but just speaking to what you're seeing and saying how I think I think this is something to be concerned about. Absolutely. And and I think too, something I've learned about myself, especially as a therapist and when it comes to being a friend or a sister or what have you, I'm a problem solver. You give me a problem, let's try to let's talk about yep. the steps to get to a, a resolution, right? Yeah. But I've come to learn that everybody is not ready to solve the problem. And that's difficult for me. So what I've had to share even recently with the situation um, is that I, I, I can't attach to this right now. Like I'm going to have yeah. to like take some space from it because you're coming to me with the same thing consistently and I hear you. We're talking about it. But at some point in my rational brain, I think so, that I'm rational. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to help find the resolution to this problem. And when we're not, we're on a hamster wheel. I have a hard time. I get dizzy on a hamster wheel. I have a hard time being there. So I want to jump off (laughs) of the hamster wheel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so just, you know, just trying to be as open and honest. And sometimes you may have to separate yourself from that friend enough to take care of you. Because when we are emotionally attached to someone, it's very difficult for us to not feel what they feel or even stronger. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let me look at some of the other questions we got. Um, okay. So the first one I got was, do you believe people can change? I do. I do believe people can change. If you're, if we're talking about the, per- the perpetrator. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. I assume yes, that's I- what they meant. Yeah. Yeah. So I do believe that they can change. It's just a a matter of you deciding if you are wanting to be in the space with them, however you, you know, need to be, or if you can accept their change from afar. Mm. So I feel like your answer to that is so much kinder than mine. Because, you know, that's the thing is because I've actually had a client ask me that before. And my answer is, yes, of course, I believe people can change or I wouldn't be in this profession. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes, people can change, but it is not your duty to be there for that change. Because I think about how, like, if there is something about me that I want to change, it is Mm -hmm. such hard work to change. Mm -hmm. You have to really want it and you have to work at it and you have to want it Mm -hmm. for yourself. And if that that perpetrator is not wanting it for themselves. If they're doing it to smooth things over for a little bit, it's not going to be lasting change. It's not actually going to happen. And so when you Mm -hmm. think about like how much work it would actually take on their end, 
If, oh if, gosh, they, recognize I, it, they, if they have to recognize it, they have to want it, it and they have to be willing to work for it. Absolutely. And of course, I think that can happen, but I do not think it is your duty to sit around and wait for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Not at all. Take care of yourself. You can even forgive from afar. I've forgiven my ex for mm-hmm. what he's done. I don't mm-hmm. like him, but I've forgiven him, right? Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, he is the father of my sons. Yeah. So. If anything happens to him, they would be hurt. Yeah. When they're hurt, mom's hurt. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to see anything bad happen to him because it will affect our children. Yeah. So they they're they're that that bond in between us, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, people can change. However, you don't have to be there, like you said, to witness the change or even as, um, accept the change. Mm-hmm. Do you? Keep your life moving. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You, your focus has to be on your healing, not on, on their change. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Another question was, how do you know? And, and I got this question a couple of different times, kind of worded in different ways, but how do you know when enough is enough? Mm. And I think they're looking at like, how, how bad does it have to get? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's different for every person, right? Okay. Um, meaning. There are some people who, like when I was in my situation, I do feel like my self-esteem was shot with that. Don't know why it was shot. Probably just because of the different years of cheating and me comparing myself to these women that he cheated with. So I just diminished myself, right? However, um, some women would already have that self-esteem and know the first sign of any emotional manipulation, they couldn't take it. Some women, it may take them that emotional stuff that turns into physical. Some women may have the emotion that turns into physical that they have to get themselves together financially before they can Mm -hmm. leave. So I really can't say that this is when you should know enough is enough. What I can say is if you feel that this relationship is no longer serving you, you're not benefiting from it. You find yourself being unhappy, dissatisfied, um, consistently having to question things, mm-hmm. that's signs moving towards enough. I'm going to tell you, case in point, watch the movie with Jennifer Lopez, Enough. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. And all the things that she had to deal with and go through. And, uh, you know, I mean, she took it to the, the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> she learned all this stuff and hid in his house. Not saying do that, but <laughs> you, you as a woman or man should know when you have reached your brink. Okay, if it's if it's yeah. causing you to act in a chaotic way, like I can remember a couple of situations where I, um, you know, would throw something across the room or something. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. That took me out of my character. Yeah. So those are things that I recognize that no, I was I was turning into someone else and that's not who I wanted to be. Yeah, I like that. I always like it when we make it individual. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when people are asking that question, what they're really asking is, is this enough for me to leave? Mm, yeah. And again, like if you're asking that question, then you probably already know what the answer is. Yeah. Um, because if the if the answer is like a, 
if it's a blanket answer for everyone of when it gets this bad, you have permission mm-hmm. to leave, then you're just waiting for it to escalate. That's true. Yeah. And if you, if that gut instinct that we were talking about earlier, if your gut is already telling you that it's enough, Mm -hmm. don't wait for it to get to that point. Absolutely not. You can go ahead and give yourself permission to say this is enough where it is now. Yeah, absolutely. It's an individualized thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last question was, um, what do you wish you had known when you were in the thick of it? Mm. I think the biggest thing is um, really knowing more of me. Like I lost myself. I lost myself in the midst of everything because I allowed myself to be lost. So this is one of the things I always say. The breakdown of the relationship was not totally his fault. I also contributed to it. And the way I contributed to it is, I was trying to be the cool wife. I was trying to be this person. I was trying to, you know, just go with the flow. I didn't stand my ground. I didn't put any boundaries up. I didn't have any standards for myself, right? Didn't even know that I should have. And so those are the things that I really wish I would have known because this could have been a whole different situation. Not saying that was still because his personality was what it was and is what it is, but I think I would have come out of this stronger initially. Mm. My, my strength was delayed. It happened like it should happen. As you know, as we know, things happen as they should. Yep. Right? Yep. But I feel that if I had have known those things in the thick of it, I could have come out of it with more strength sooner mm. than later. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what it is for me. One other thing that I wanted to throw out there is, um, so I'm going to put any resources that you have for women, whether it's um, like crisis lines, anything like that. But one thing that I want to put in the show notes too is this um, is this resource resource called the Power and Control Wheel. Okay. Um. So a lot of people, when they think about domestic violence and intimate partner violence, they think about physical and sexual like mm-hmm. violence. Um, yes. And so this wheel on the outside, it's got what some of those look like, um, like things like hitting, biting, kicking, things like that. But on the inside, it's got these different categories, which are different types of abuse. And I want to read those off because I think a lot of times, again, like I'll have clients that they're actually really confused about like, is this abusive or is it not? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So this will has one of them being dominance. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's when you're like, um, the abuser is treating you almost like a servant. Um, They make all the big, the dis big decisions. They act like they're the, the master of the house. They're the only one that gets to define the roles in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's economic abuse, which is um, financial abuse, like we talked about before. So they either prevent you from getting a job. Um, they, um, let's see, they blame you if there's any kind of like fin- financial trouble in the house. They, they take all the money or they limit or remove um, remove your access to the family income, which is a, mm-hmm. a huge one. Like I know so many women, they don't even have access to the bank accounts. And so when exactly. they are thinking about trying to leave, they don't have any money to be able to, yes. to physically leave. Right. Right. 
There's also spiritual abuse. And I actually see this one a lot. Um, they manipulate religious texts um, to demand obedience, mm-hmm. to justify mm-hmm. physical abuse, um, or even to, to coerce a partner into having sex by citing that it's a God-given right. And that one is even in the Christian community. I see that happening all the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, there's a lot of people that don't believe in spousal rape because it's, it's again, that's the, the God-given right. Um, right. Let's see. I there's also, know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, then there's also isolation um, where, of course, they isolate you from your friends and family. Mm-hmm. They control what you do and who you can see. Um, that's when you're usually saying like a lot of jealousy to justify those actions. Mm-hmm. There's minimizing, denying, and blaming, um, where, like you were saying, like they're denying that the abuse even happened. They're making light of it. They're gaslighting it. They they shift the responsibility for their abuse. Um, they say you caused it. Yes. Then there's a category that is children and reproduction. Um, so they they try to make you feel guilty about the kids or they use the kids to relay messages. They use visitations. Even if you guys have already separated, they're using visitation to harass you. They threaten yeah. to take the kids away. Um, even I thought this was interesting. Sabotaging birth control is a form of abuse. Um, oh, yeah. Forced pregnancies. Um, force like force you to get pregnant so that it impacts your work or limits your freedom. Mm. Um, and then there's, they've even got categories of like cultural abuse where it's saying that, um, it's culturally like normal to have the woman not work outside of the home or things like that to prevent them from being able to, um, be able to support themselves. Support themselves. My goodness. It is interesting how they get into depth about like the different types that it's Mm -hmm. harder to name it. Um, I won't go through the, the rest of them as much detail, but there's using immigration status, like they're um, not willing to, to do the paperwork you need to be able to stay in the country. There's coercion and threats, there's intimidation, and then there's emotional abuse. So I'm going to mm-hmm. put this wheel on um, the website that I was looking at is YWCASpokane.org. So I'll put that in the show notes too, so people can look at that, because I think it's really important to put some language into just because, you know, if you're waiting for that threshold to be, oh, if he, if he actually hits me or if there's an actual mm-hmm. physical abuse, that's how I'll know that I'm leaving. But there are lots of abusive relationships that never turn physically abusive. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean it's not one that you need to get yourself out of. Absolutely. I think it's so important for the audience to, to recognize that abuse can come in many shapes, sizes, and packages. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said in the beginning too, that um, we're using a lot of language as if it's a a heterosexual couple with the man being the abuser. Um, And you're absolutely right. Women are um, statistically higher to be abused, but, but this can be in um, homosexual relationships. This can also be reversed where the, the woman is the abuser too. So I don't want to leave anybody out of this. Um, Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Uh, Shay, thank you so much for yes. sharing your story. No I, I know you're just getting to a place of being able to share this more openly. Yes. And, and I hope that this is a thing that I think that God has probably put on you recently to be sharing so that you can be a voice and help other women know that they are not alone in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, you know, I've seen you in the past few years, happily remarried um, in a very (laughs) awesome relationship. So just knowing that there's a lot of healing on the other side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, what I've learned from my, from my current husband um, is that relationships don't have to be hard. Amen. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, they should be fun. fun. (laughs) Yes. Now, do we agree on everything? Absolutely not. But we agree, disagree in a loving way. Yeah. So that's the important thing. So, but no, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being open to um, having this discussion because this was a great platform for me to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. So glad you're here. Okay. Before we go, I'm going to ask you the question that I've been asking all of my guests. Um, And I guess you kind of answered it a little bit um, earlier, but if you could go back to your younger self, probably at even a younger age, maybe even a kid and tell her one thing, what would you want her to know? Ooh, to know that she is loved Mm -hmm. first of all, by God, Mm -hmm. um, then by her children by her husband, family, and friends. And by herself now. Oh, yeah, that's right. I am loved by myself. (laughs) See how we easily do that? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's been such like a huge piece of your story is that in all of your healing from this, I think you've learned to love yourself. Yeah, I really have. I mean, to be honest, and I know I didn't say that initially, but at the the brink of it, loving myself is actually behind God loving me for me. Yeah. So I'm going to say that again and don't even worry about editing this out, but God, myself, my children, my husband, my family, and my friends. I actually might need to put God, then Max, my dog, then me. (laughs) (laughs) Because he loves his mama. (laughs) I did not know you were a dog person too. Yes, yes, yes. And he's right here laying down like he does when I'm doing therapy in the office. Right by your side. I know it. So I definitely say that, you know, that's one of the things that I do share with the women that I work with is we talk, we end up talking about no matter what it is, self-love. And I have a self-love challenge that I always provide them that I encourage them to do over and over again. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Love it. It's nothing yeah, like love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. I think that's that's all we have. So I hope everybody um, enjoyed listening to this episode and just the gratitude I have with you for sharing your story um, and just being so vulnerable here. I just appreciate that so much. But mm-hmm. if anybody wants to connect with Shaleen, I know that she is um, on social media. So I'll post all her contact information in the show notes so that you guys can connect with her. Um, and we'll put some of those resources there as well. But that's all we have for you guys today. I hope everyone has a good week and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Outside of Session. Remember, while I am a licensed therapist, this podcast is not a substitute for individual therapy. The contents of this episode are for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911 for immediate assistance or dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline.